I stood there outside a private hospital waiting room, just holding the doorknob. On the other side of that door were 22 people who were waiting for my arrival. They had just tragically lost a beloved family member and they had, they had asked me to show up. And on the other side of that door was a father who'd lost his son, a mother who'd lost her boy, a brother. There was a sister and her husband. There were some kids and their spouses and uncles, cousins. They were all in there waiting for me, the pastor, to arrive and help unlock or make sense of this tragic, terrible moment. And as I stood there knowing all that, it was waiting for me on the other side of the door. I just stopped and held that doorknob. And I paused and I, I felt in my bones and my soul, like, I don't have what it takes to, to deal with what's on the other side. <laughs> There's no training for that. On the other side of this door was a reality that I just wasn't prepared for. And, and God just whispered to my heart, I'm with you. Because on the other side of that door, I didn't know if I had what it, it would take. I said, God, I need to know you're with me, like for real. And he said, I'm with you. And when you get across that door, I'm already at work. I'll be moving over there too. All you have to do is cross the threshold. You know, life has a lot of those kind of moments. As a pastor, I've been with, with men time and time again who are, again, behind a doorway. And on the other side is their wedding. On the other side is, is a group of people waiting for them to go stand up at the front and, and speak their vows of a covenant to their beloved bride. And I've seen many of them just stand there and pause at that door and just say, you know, just give me a minute. And they search themselves for any frame of reference, but often there is none because they're crossing over into a new reality. I've sat there with families who are getting ready to walk out to a, a memorial service for a, a mother or a father or a loved one. And on the other side of that door is, is acknowledging that there's a reality they've, they've never been to before. I was talking to someone this very week who was waiting for their COVID test to come back. And every time the phone would ring, they would jump and look at the number. And if it was an unknown number, well, it was probably the doctor. And they would pause before they'd answer because on the other side of this call was a reality. They didn't know if they were prepared for. And so, you know, whether it's a diagnosis or a marriage, a funeral, a birth, a, a new job or a new venture, a, a new step towards sobriety, a new path towards wholeness, a new call to ask someone for help. We've all been to places where we just don't know what's on the other side of that door other side of that phone call, other side of that conversation. And we don't feel prepared for it. Today is a message about this, and today's going to be a powerful message, and I want, I want to challenge you to do something today. If you're with us on Facebook or, or YouTube, I want you to turn your phone sideways or turn your notifications off and, and, and give your attention right here for just a little bit. If you're watching on television, you know, put your phone down, turn the notifications off. Go ahead. Yes, you too, the one that thinks that I can't see you. Yeah, go ahead. Turn off those notifications. Because see, the reason is because God has something before you today that you're going to need as we move on into what's next. And the last thing you would want is, is to miss today's moment because you were tagged in some movie poster challenge or some Instagram story contest. This is going to be an important one. And I'm going to try to make it through this 
without crying in some places. So, so cliff notes before we get to where we're going. Cliff notes, very quick in under a minute. The children of God were in, in slavery, set free by God. They wandered the wilderness for 40 years following Moses. There was fear and there was frustration, and both of those things sent them back into the wilderness. Moses then died, and Joshua became their new leader. God was going to lead them into the promised land. And last week we talked about consecrating yourselves, like devoting yourself fully to God and and setting yourself apart from the things that are your old life. And today, well, today Joshua and the people get the marching orders to move into the promised land. Remember, Joshua and the people are camped right there next to the Jordan River, which is the boundary. On the other side of the river, that's the promised land. They camp there, and then God gives them further instruction. We pick this up in Joshua verse 14. It says this, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests came carrying the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. And this is an important detail. They put this in here because it means something. You see, the people, they camp next to the Jordan River, but it's not like our rivers because at this time in history, there was no regulating or mitigating the river to alleviate the flooding. I mean, when it was flood season, it was flood season, and you were just going to have to deal with it. The Jordan on this day would have flooded up onto the banks, over the vegetation and the terrain, into the trees. It would be wider than any other time of the year. It would be rolling faster than any other time of the year. And it would be rolling deeper than any other time of the year. And the people of God would be staring at a truly impassable river. There was no way they could get their livestock and their elderly and their children and their supplies and their vulnerable or even their essential across this river. The strongest of the tribes wasn't going to cross the Jordan at flood stage. And in fact, in 1854, also before the the true modern river mitigation, an expert swimmer during the Jordan flood stage tried to swim across and failed and made it back to his own side of the shore way downstream after getting tossed and turned. And on this day, when Joshua and God's people were staring at the Jordan River, the estimate based on history placed the river at over 100 feet across and well over 10 feet deep, double that in some places. And God, if God had led them to this moment a month earlier, it would have been crossable. If God would have led them to this point a month later, it would have been crossable. But they find themselves, like like many of us have, with a new reality on the other side. And what's in between them just seems impassable or impossible to overcome. God then gives Joshua instructions for what he's to do next. It says, The Lord said to Joshua, Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters. Go stand in the river. You know, I remember one time when I was playing football in middle school, we had this trick play that we ran once. The opposing team would kick the ball off to us and We'd catch it, and we'd all run into the same huddle, like while the game's going. We'd run into a huddle, and they would be running down to tackle us. In this huddle, we'd pretend to all put our hands around the ball. And then with a shout, we'd all scatter, all pretending to hold the ball and hoping that the other players, the other team, wouldn't know who who had it. I remember when the coach told us this play, we all kind of looked at each other. And I remember thinking, like, I don't know about this idea. But see, I'm the kid, and and he was the coach, and and he'd made us run laps a lot before that. And so, obviously, I was going to do whatever he said. Well, Joshua goes and tells the priests and people, here's the plan. 
This is the play. We're all here on the banks of this raging, flooding river, and we're going to cross it today. And they look at that river like, what? We're going to cross it? And he goes, yeah, here's what we're going to do. You guys carrying the Ark of the Covenant, I want you to get ready. I want you to walk down into the river and go stand in the middle of it. Ready, break. I can imagine those guys looking back at each other like eyebrows raised and then just shrug. I mean, and the people of God watching and listening, hearing that the priests were going to walk a heavy golden ark into a raging river that was well over their heads. I mean, they might have wanted to ask if this would work, but, but the coach had already made them run laps around the wilderness for 40 years. So they weren't asking. They were hoping. But also remember, the people hearing this plan, they grew up hearing their mother and fathers tell of an an amazing detail how God had split the Red Sea. They knew their God could move, but they hadn't seen the Red Sea split like their parents. Priests, you carry the ark, the symbol of God's presence. You go walk down into the water, into it, and stand in the middle of the river. Can you imagine this ancient moment. I mean, could you imagine if you were there? I mean, at this point, everyone is paused. Everyone is still. They're, they're, they're hushing each other. They're, they're trying to look over shoulders and get a good view. The only sound is the sound of the roaring river. The priests, you know, they hoist up the ark onto their shoulders, and once they secure it, they, they begin to walk toward this raging, deep, flooded river. No one knew what to expect. All they knew is to do what they were told. The priest will take the ark and walk into the middle of the river and, and stand. That's all they knew. And I wonder if they imagined, like, how is this miracle going to work? The, will the priest walk out there and just be under the water holding this? I mean, at the Red Sea, God split the water before they even took a step toward it. At the Red Sea, God moved when the people stood around in fear and doubt. At the Red Sea, all their feet remained dry. But here, they're watching some people walk toward the water while it's raging. You know, oftentimes we sit at the edge of an obstacle or a challenge and we wait for God to do a miracle before we ever move in faith. We want the Red Sea miracle, wanting God to do something great without us having to really do anything. At the Red Sea, the people panicked. They were faithless. They were begging like crazy and wishing. And God made a way despite their fear and despite their lack of faith. We pray these Red Sea prayers. God, get me out of debt. God, take away my lust. God, take away my past. God, God, remove this vice from me. God, make this relationship work. God, give me peace. God, please, first you do this, then I'll do that. God, if you would just take this away, then I'll move ahead in the right way. We want that Red Sea miracle. And sometimes in our life, God gives it to us. He makes a way. He takes something away. He changes us. He heals us. He does the miracle while we're frozen at the water's edge. Our faith is weak. Our feet are dry. And he moves and he changes everything. I love those moments. I love the Red Sea miracle. But I found in my own life most often that God's inviting me to a Jordan River miracle while I'm waiting for a Red Sea miracle. 
What's the Jordan River miracle? You see, here in Joshua, God doesn't split the water while the people just sit and wait. He tells them to start walking toward it while it's raging. A Red Sea miracle, the supernatural happens while I'm waiting back in fear. A Jordan River miracle, the supernatural happens when I'm walking forward in faith. Back to our scene. The people are hushed and they're watching closely as the priests steady the ark. It's God's presence on their shoulders. And the priests, they begin walking towards this mighty river. I can't imagine that moment. I can't even... I can't wrap my head around it. They're walking right toward the heart of the river. And back in Joshua 3.15, as soon as the priests carrying the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water upstream ceased flowing. They carried God's presence with them and the miracle didn't happen until their feet got wet. And then... The water stopped flowing. The roar of the river, it just dissipated. Silence continued to cover the people. Jaws dropped. And then just a mighty shout of victory probably rang out from the people. And those that carried God's presence forwards, I mean, imagine their experience. Those behind were watching, but but those ahead, they were walking into the roaring river. They felt the water on their feet. You see, sometimes our faith requires wet feet when all we want is a Red Sea miracle. But oftentimes, God calls us to some Jordan River walking. A lot of us stand around with cold feet wishing for a breakthrough when God's breakthrough comes after walking with some wet feet. The carriers of the ark, they walk toward the raging river into it. The waters stopped, and then we continue in verse 16. All the people then crossed over on dry land near the town of Jericho. And the whole time, the priests who were carrying the ark of the Lord stood in the middle of the dry riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan and onto dry ground on the other side. At each turn, Joshua didn't move back or forward based on fear or frustration. He didn't run to the river because others thought he should or shouldn't. Joshua waited until he heard clearly from God. And when he did, he walked in full faith. You know, in your life right now, there's some areas that you either want to plunge into or shrink back from and hold up for one minute. I'm talking issues way bigger than your feelings on masks or ordinances or or fears and frustrations about what's going on. I'm talking about your heart and the fact that you refuse to listen and obey to God's word. I'm talking about your idol of self-comfort that you refuse to leave. I'm talking about your idol of self-reliance that you refuse to topple. I'm talking about the, the roaring river of your pet sins that own your private world. I'm talking about the flood, the flood stage of depression that has dominated your life. I'm talking about the raging anger that has marred your relationships. I'm talking about the deep insecurities that seem to make your decisions for you. You see, don't get it twisted. I'm talking about the things in your life that were issues before the virus. And if we don't get our feet wet, 
there are going to be issues after the virus. And whatever side of the spectrum of, of national issues you find yourself on today, just lay them down for a moment. Because this is time for some, some personal discussion. God wants you to cross the Jordan into the promised land of freedom. He wants you to have freedom from what has always held you back. What is it that, is destroy, that was destroying your life before that needs a, a Jordan River miracle right now? What was robbing your joy in, in January that you need to get your, your feet wet in May? What was stealing your peace all 2019 that needs to walk into some water in 2020? What has imprisoned your identity that needs to move into a new reality? This, without the secret sin that has shackled you for years. I mean, you've been praying for a Red Sea miracle, but, but, but you know that God wants you to open up and courageously ask for help and step forward in faith. I mean, here's the deal. We're going to get to the other side of the virus, but let's arrive there a transformed people. We'll gather together again soon, but let's gather with wet, free, wet, wet feet and new freedom in our hearts. We'll someday take off the masks and breathe freely, but let's take off the masks right now that hide our inner world and let's become promised land people. We need wet feet in our faith to, to walk forward when we're afraid. It's time to step out and, and follow God in the transformation of our heart and our mind and our soul. They crossed the river while their priests remained in the middle until they had, had moved over. And then, before they joined the rest, Joshua received his next instruction. And he, he relays it to the people in chapter 4, verse 5. Joshua says this, One person from each tribe, go back to the middle of the Jordan, right there in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder, that'd be 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. I mean, God says, get 12 stones, one for each tribe, and, and get them from the riverbed, and we'll put them on the river bank. And there they stack the stones up, making a large pile. Joshua tells the people, in the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And then you tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Lord's ark went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people, as a reminder. In other words, these stones will stand for generations. And when the children ask, why are they here? You tell them, because here, this is where God did an amazing work and he saved us. What's interesting is that Joshua and the people still had the entire promised land to, to, to battle through. They had decades of hard work ahead of them. The battle and the struggle. Life wasn't smooth because of this one moment. But God wanted them to pull aside because of this moment. Because someday, the faith from, from this moment would, would be a, a, a distant memory. Someday they'd be facing a bigger foe. Someday they would be struggling with new battles. Someday their faith, it would be waning. And God would say here to those people with wet feet and deep faith, 
My people, stack stones and remember what happened in this place. Because there'll come a time when your faith is weak. You'll wonder if the Lord still moves in power. And I want you to come back to this place and look at these stones from the riverbed that are stacked up on the bank and be reminded that there's a God who's a way maker through the impossible. You see, you need to stack memorial stones today. Because the same God who, who's moved previously in your life wants you to remember that he's, he's still on the move. This week, I was up early before my family and I went outside and I got 12 rocks and brought them inside. I knelt down in our living room and I, I, I began to name off every rock based on the, the 12 biggest ways that God had moved in my life. The central, the, the, the central and bottom rock, the one that was in the middle, was, I said this, I said that Jesus died and rose again for me so that my soul was saved. That was, that was my foundation. That was the middle. And from there, I named the other rocks. And some were people that God had used that changed my life forever. My parents, my wife, Amy. At one point, Amy and I thought we would never have children. And so two of the stones were Elijah and Selah who are walking memorial stones that remind me of God's miracles. And when I was done, I, I sat there. I had my own little stack of memorial stones in front of me. M my personal little memorial pile. Not yours, not anybody else's. This was mine. My memorial stones of how God had shown himself faithful to me. My little life was there in one pile of stones. I probably stared at it for longer than, than I, I should have, just recounting all that God had done. And in that moment, my faith was increased in the present because I was remembering what God had done in the past. Remember that verse, it said in Joshua, someday your children will ask you, they'll say, what do these stones mean? Well, my kids came downstairs a while later and they said, what do those stones mean, Daddy? What are those rocks for? And I sat him down. I said, you know, God has faithfully moved in your daddy's life time and time again. And today I wanted to, to remember those moments and stack these stones. And, and I went through each one of them with them. And they smiled when, they, when their name came up and they nodded at some others. And there were, there were stories in there that, and events that they won't hear until they're older. But, but later our whole family went outside and gathered. And I told them each to find three of their own rocks as big as they wanted. Amy, Elijah, Selah, and myself, we each had our three. And one at a time, we would name the way that God had been faithful. And we stack that stone. And one by one, we, we stacked up a pile of memorial stones in our backyard. And may it stand there for all time as a reminder to, to the God who moved in our family in the past and a reminder that he still moves in the present. Because see, there'll come a time in my kid's life when they get older, when their faith perhaps has run dry or there's a huge struggle or they're facing something that they don't know if God's going to come through. And I pray that my kids will look there at those memorial stones of God's faithfulness and know that he still calls us to wet feet and he still makes a way when it seems like there's no other way. Orchard, I want you to go find 12 stones today. As big as you want, for wherever you want by yourself or as a family or a group, and, and name each one and stack them as a memorial for what God has done. Perhaps you take one stone and you place it in your windowsill. The one you look out the most, 
You put it right there in your field of vision. Because you want to remember as you look out that God has moved in your past. And he still moves today. Maybe you put it by your bedside table, your work desk, or wherever you will see it and be reminded that, that the God who made a way in the past is going to wake a, make a way in the future. And when your faith runs dry, remember how he moved and may your faith be strengthened. I want to end with this. I had read through this passage uh, time and time again and, and, and God began to connect some dots. And, and what I'm about to tell you, I've never heard preached and I've never preached this before. And I'm really excited. In this chapter, um, Joshua didn't just stack one stack of stones. Now, I've heard that before. If we read close enough, you, you see this in verse 9. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, at the place where the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. So there's already a stack on the bank to remind the people of God, all God had done. But, but Joshua made another stack of stones, and it seems like he did this one personally. He put them there in the middle of the riverbed, where the, right where the priests were standing, right there in the middle of the river. Then he and the priests, they marched out of the Jordan onto the promised land banks. And guess what? The river flowed and surged. And what did it do? It covered that second stack of rocks right up. Why did Joshua make a stack of memorial stones in the middle of a riverbed that, that no one would see? Memorial, memorial stones and stacks are there as a witness for what God has done that he's going to do again. But these, they just remain there underwater, unseen. What's the message of these stones under the Jordan River? Well, the ancient Hebrew tradition, coordinating with the clues given here in Joshua about Jericho and the place and being north of the Dead Sea, has a location for this Jordan River crossing. And they call this place Kesra al-Yahud. And Kesra al-Yahud, the place where the ancient Hebrews arrived from the east, crossed the River Jordan into the Promised Land, right there near Jericho, north of the Dead Sea. And there in that river, under the water, through low, low flow, through flooded banks, there under that water is hidden 12 stones stacked by Joshua, the one who led the people to redemption, to the Promised Land. He stacked those stones. Then the water covered them. Then a decade went by. Then 50 years went by. Then 100 years. Then 500. 1,000. Then 14,080-some years went by. Until about the year 80. Until about the year 30 A.D. 30 A.D. The, the Jordan River still flowed from the north to the south. The Jordan means descend, and it descended from the hills, and it flowed all the way down to the Dead Sea. But on this day, in 30 AD, the river wasn't at flood stage. It was hot, though, as it often was. And there was a man, there was a man standing out there in the Jordan River. He was a prophet. He was a prophet who'd been foretold in the Old Testament. His name was John, and they called him John the Baptist. And on this day, he was standing there in the river, in the middle of the Jordan River at this place, calling others to come in, to repent and be baptized. And where was he standing? Kesra al-Yahud, the place where 
they had once crossed over into the promised land. At Kesra al-Yahud, where Joshua had stacked 12 stones hidden below the surface of the river. For over 1,400 years, they laid there, and no one would ever have known why. But on this day, a man walked out of the crowd and into the water toward John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, standing there at Kesra al-Yahud, took one look at this man, walking toward him, and immediately said this in Matthew 34, No, I can't baptize you. It's you who should baptize me. It was Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, John, baptize me. 1,400 years prior, Joshua, whose name was God is my salvation, stacked 12 stones in the bottom of a riverbed to mark something God had done and something he was going to do in the future. And on this day, Jesus, whose name also means God is my salvation, walked out to the middle of that river, perhaps on those very stones, and was immersed in the Jordan River. Joshua went in and came out of the Jordan to a new life. Jesus went in and came out of the Jordan, and he calls you to a new life. I don't know what Joshua knew back then when he stacked those stones. He was, he was busy leading the people to deliverance. And centuries later, another came to that place, Jesus, and he still leads people to deliverance. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the memorial stones of the Old Testament. While Joshua led them to the promised land, Jesus today invites you to the promised land of salvation. He calls you even now. He's the fulfillment of all the memorial stones. And he calls you to deliverance in a promised land life. If you would like to pray this with me, you can enter into new life of salvation with Jesus. It's this simple. Just pray after me. Repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I need you. I give you my life. I know you died and rose again. Be my Savior. Holy Spirit, fill me. In Jesus' name, amen. People, it's time to get your feet wet. It's time to stack your stones. Let's not enter the next phase of life with the same vices and chains and idols. Let's not move into a new normal as the same old person. Today in your homes, where do you need to step out? What doors do you need to open and trust that God's moving with you? What calls do you need to make trusting that he's with you? What conversations do you need to go have? And also, in your homes, stack stones as big as you want, as big as you can. And remember all that God has done. And know that God will bring redemption. And for Joshua, his stack of stones, it took over 1,400 years. I'm praying in faith for you that God brings redemption and deliverance to you this very week. But let's step into this. What do you need to do? What is God waiting on you to do? What call? What conversation? What door do you need to open? 
to move forward in the faith. This week, wet feet, stack stones, love God, love people. I'll see you next week. Thank you.